Hello, and thank you for joining me on this episode of Dropping the Plumb Line. It is May 13th, 2022, and I'm about ready to share part two of the story of what God is doing right now through this Joseph company. He's raising up to be his solution through the transition of these difficult times that we are facing. And so if you haven't heard part one, please do. Um, it's a little bit about the prophetic journey that God has had me on um, to pray and intercede for this arising of this Joseph company. So in part one, I highlighted some of the Josephs that God used in the Bible that had a very similar characteristic in that through their obedience, they were used by God to be the one that helped bring forth or add to God's covenant promises of blessing and multiplicity. And they were kind of the conduit of the uh, the person that was used through the transition of a dark place and a difficult place to one that was going to be good and plentiful. And so we kind of touched on the story about Joseph in Genesis uh, 37 and how God uh, raised him up to be governor of the land of Egypt. And in that position, God was able to help facilitate bringing the family in a dark place and into the place of Goshen. And so there they were safe and preserved and they were fed and they multiplied into 2 million, we read later down the road. Now, Joseph and Mary's story was also one that was key and transitional because Joseph was was called to cover Mary as she was pregnant with Jesus, um, her reputation, and to come alongside of her and to help her birth Jesus, as well as take her out of the land and to the land of Egypt when the edict of Herod came forth. And so he did that out of obedience, and that preserved Jesus until it was time to bring him back. And then Joseph actually died at a young age, but he was so instrumental on making sure that Jesus, the Son of Man, uh, was safe and protected and that that sea would um, bear fruit and go forward and multiply the stone kingdom. So now we, uh, at the end of Jesus's journey of ministry, of course, we know about his death and resurrection, and then he sent the Holy Spirit. And out of that, the stone kingdom was birthed, and then we were able to go out and share the good news. And we're living in that church age right now, these last 2,000 years of that great multiplicity and blessing. Um, but you know who was instrumental in that transition was Joseph of Arab. Matthias, uh, Jesus's great uncle. And so we talked a little bit about how he was a member of the Sanhedrin and the Roman Senate, but he was a wealthy tins trademan. And because of that wealth and that, um, you know, favor that God gave him, he was able to use those ships and his, um, uh, I would say, influence to help facilitate Christians leaving Jerusalem and, and bringing them safely to the land of Britain. And there in Glastonbury, there was the first raised church church and the first, what I'm going to call hub or really Goshen of the New Testament. And many Christians came there. Many of the disciples that we read about um, ended up there uh, coming there for part of their journey. And then they went out and dispersed. And so that's where I kind of left us in uh, that knowledge. But it's so interesting um, how these Josephs are being used. And we're going to use that template to understand how the intercession that went forward um, is really raising up this remnant and the hour that we're in to be a Joseph company. And there's many Joseph companies that are being formed right now. They're called, they're really kind of the body parts of each one of them who has a piece of the puzzle are collectively coming together and unifying uh, in the kingdom cause. And then God is about ready to emerge them to be the solution for the situation at hand. 
So in March of 2011, um, now this is 13 years later after I started really praying into that Joseph company, I recall this sudden shift happen um, and that God was really about ready to awaken this remnant and to release his new sound and revelation for the equipping work ahead. And this is what transpired. Um, I ended up going up to LA on uh, what I thought, again, was just, you know, a fun outing with some women. And the minute I got on the train, uh, I could feel the Holy Spirit just come on me. And I knew that the Lord was sending me up there for something that was not just to go up and have fun and to go to a concert. And the Lord told me um, not to go to dinner with the girls, but he wanted me to go up into my hotel room and to start praying. And a few of the girls decided to come up with me. And as we were praying and interceding, I saw these scrolls come down from heaven. And I they were so vivid and real that I actually reached my hand up to grab them because I thought that they were really there. And when I grabbed them, all of a sudden I could taste something in my mouth that's tasted like sweet. It tasted bitter. I was trying to discern what is it, these letters, what was it that I was chewing and I was swallowing? But I just I just knew it was something that I, my brain couldn't articulate. Um, it was just something that my, my spirit was just, I felt like I was was just eating a full meal. Well, it was later on, about six months later, in September of 2011, and during the feast season, that um, I was hosting this conference, and we just started beginning with worship and prayer, and then all of a sudden, the prophetic gift started, um, you know, bubbling up inside of me, and I was prophesying. And as I was prophesying, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm prophesying some of these scrolls that God just had me eat back in March, and I still, again, really was prophesying and everyone was receiving it. We were like, wow, this is of the Lord. But we kind of still didn't understand the knowledge of what God was sharing with us at that time. So I started seeking God um, really like, I mean, there was nothing that was on my plate than just seeking God with what he was showing us right then. And right then also, I just felt like God was dropping this plumb line of his story to set the record straight with his truth and the way of what he was, um, of how to go about doing kingdom business and building the stone kingdom up. And this included like clearing up some of these foundational doctrines that the church at large had adopted and kind of getting the whole picture. God wanted to release, you know, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that revelation belongs to him until it's his time to release it. And I felt like it was his time to start opening up our eyes to see the mysteries of God, things that have been hidden over time because the enemy did a good job of, you know, blinding us and we took the bait and that's why we were blinded. And now God was starting to open these things up and my spirit was so alive. And then I saw this clock and these words God spoke to me rung in my ear. And he said, now, Stacy, you need to understand my time. Time is a weapon of warfare. Understand my time. And I started pursuing, what do you mean by that, Lord? And then all of a sudden, I was in the Old Testament, and I discovered in Leviticus 23, this Hebrew covenant calendar that God created with his holidays or holy days to rest and to come into this rhythm of intimacy and his heart to be joined together and to really be a witness to the to the world that he was the one true God. But in that intimacy, you could see that the gate, you know, when you start studying the tabernacle, that the gates were opened up on the new moon and the Sabbath, and you could enter into that 
that holy place, and you could sit with the Lord, and you could just glean and gain um, a wisdom from His heart. I, I believe there's a an openness, you know, to understand His heart to your heart and to receive revelation. And so I just knew a little bit about how God was realigning us in this pattern, and how as we came as a corporate body to understand this, um, you know, these holy days that we were really entering into Jesus' redemption story. The first, you know, feast really kind of were a symbolic of his first coming. The last feast were a symbolic of his second coming. And as we started joining in celebration and doing these dress rehearsals of all these seven feasts and really like honoring them in our hearts and coming together as a unit, a corporate unit, as the Lord instructed three times a year, that we would then start coming back into his rhythm, back into his timing and his truth of what he was doing corporately through his, um, you know, stone kingdom. And so I knew that this was a key for the schisms that were dividing the body of Christ and causing us to um, not have God's authority and influence in the world to start coming into a place where that would be healed, that breach would be healed, and we would start being raised up. And it was really important for the remnant to separate themselves and to come into this truth so that God could then start raising them up in his authority in the time that he said. So I, by faith, just started opening up my doors to my house. I lived on 1024 via Vera Cruz, and that number in itself speaks a lot. 10 is the number of, you know, divine order. 24 is priesthood. Via Vera Cruz means to to see the truth of the cross. And I don't think it was a, God, a mistake at all that that's the street that God planted us on. And we opened our house. Our house was his house. And we just started celebrating the first fruits and the feasts. And we kind of just did it by faith because we had, um, I had little knowledge really of a great deep under revelation of what these feasts were all about. So that actually started in 2012. On the Day of Atonement in 2015, I was actually at the Green Tavern restaurant in Carlsbad, California with a couple intercessors, and we were praying around the flagpole. Now, the Green Tavern was a replica of the Green Tavern that um, resided in Boston, Massachusetts, where the Sons of Liberty would gather together in the hidden place and talk about the tyranny of the British you know, government and how to get free of it. And so there we were praying around this um, flag, and we were just praying for our nation. And this is really where the first prayer campaign actually was birthed in my spirit. And we started in January of 2016, and it was called Daughters of Revolution. And all year in 2016, we started praying for our nation. And the main thrust of it was to shake the hidden iniquitous foundations that most of the church and most of America could not see what was transpiring behind hidden doors. And these iniquitous treaties were causing our nation to crumble underneath our feet because we had gotten so far away from God's providence of what he called this nation to be. And as we joined in compromise with, you know, some of the things that the enemy was trying to do, it was taking our heritage away, our identity, and also the influence that the church had on the nation. And so the thrust was, was to shake it, shake it open, Lord, allow us to see what's underneath in our government, in businesses, in the church um, that were hidden from our eyes so that then, then it could be exposed. 
So then, of course, all of us know that uh, President Trump ended up becoming our president that year in November, and the campaign actually really kind of stopped at that point. Uh, Trump was God's battle axe to really uh, open up the doors of this shaking so that um, the nation could see really what was transpiring through the media and in the government. Um, you know, God definitely used him for that purpose. Now, I'm not a pro-Trump person, but I am a pro-God person for using anyone uh, to help further his kingdom cause. So I just want to go ahead and say that. Then in 2017, I was suddenly removed from San Diego after 19 years of prayer and intercession, and the Lord took me from there and brought me to Sand Point, Idaho. And I had no clue as to the purpose of why God would bring me up there and, you know, have me put, lay everything down and not even be able to see any of the fruit of all of that intercession Truly, I really didn't see hardly any of it. I hope that just encourages people that God has been having you pray and intercede for something and you just have not even seen any breakthrough. And I just, you know, just felt like what a waste, you know, like what, what the heck? I just remember like crying a lot when I first came to Sandpoint, I'm just going to be real. And I just, it just, none of it made sense to me. And I remember sitting uh, in my car overlooking the lake and there was a bridge that, you know, crossed over the, the lake, a mountain behind it, and it started to rain. And then all of a sudden there was two rainbows right there in front of me over the lake. And I heard the Lord say, Sand Point, San Diego, San Diego, Sand Point. They both started with the word sand. And then all of a sudden I just saw those two rainbows and I saw the Lord um, dropping the plumb line on San Diego and then dropping the plumb line on Sand Point. And it was almost as if he was saying that he needed me to now go forward in Sandpoint and do much of the very same thing that I had been doing in San Diego um, to have both of the ends of that rainbow of that, you know, covenant from the south to the north and the north to the south be secure in his peg of truth and intercession and prophetic declaration. And in doing so, there would be a release of God's fire for the whole West um, of the outpouring that he had reserved for the time that we're about ready to go into. And, you know, okay, that took a lot of faith for me to step into that again. I'll have to be honest with you because literally I, you know, I've been doing all this by faith. And so then I sat on the sidelines even after him sharing that with me until 2020 when the Lord gave me the second prayer campaign called Daughters of Zion. And in this campaign, we started praying that the remnant now that, um, you know, had started to see some of these shakings and some of the things that God was revealing, that they would come out of the compromise and some of these systems so that they would be free to be used by God up ahead so that he could download download more of his um, truth and his authority and then raise them up in the final hour. And so that was, I just saw them all getting these eagle's wings and, you know, Sandpoint Sand actually has known what, for eagles living here. And it's all, it's amazing how many people have like left ministry and God 
has moved him here. And then every, all these eagles, all these, you know, mature Christians have just been sitting like on a branch waiting for God to reveal why he brought him here. And I was asking the same thing. So anyways, so the Lord had to start praying. We started praying into that uh, prayer campaign and asking God, uh, you know, like Revelations 18, where he declared, hey, my people come out of Babylon for her iniquities have come to my throne. And I don't want you to receive the penalties of her judgments. And so the heart was to cry out for the remnant to wake up and to really step up and step away. And, you know, God's a covenant keeping God. And so when we make covenant treaties here and we, uh, and they are tied to iniquity, it actually binds us to that iniquity. And so once we get a revelation of, you know, being tied to an iniquitous treaty or contract, you know, it's our responsibility to look at that contract and see that it's not pleasing to the Lord and then do what we can in our power to get out of it. And we do that first through prayer and then ask the Lord to guide our steps. And in doing so, we really release ourselves um, more into the blessing and the, you know, the power, the authority that God has for us. So the events of 2020 are historical in nature. We've all lived through them. COVID really kind of hit in March. Um, then God actually used those difficult circumstances to squeeze the church, really, I think, first and foremost, to get our attention to wake up. You know, we are rebellious in nature, and it's very difficult for us as humans to let go of some of the mindsets that we have, especially in churches and religious um, cultures. Um, they have a faith and a doctrine that they believe in, and it's really hard to change that. And so sometimes God will use difficult circumstances to get us to shake out of uh, things that we really truly, truly, truly believe in and um, to get us to come into a new wineskin. And that's really what I feel like 2020 really started doing. Um, now in October of 2020 on 10-10-20, there was the, that was the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And I do, I believe it was significant because on that day, um, Dutch Sheets was hosting a holy convocation. Many of the uh, Christians had started recognizing the feast and celebrating them that year. And so there was a lot going on in coming into those holy days that God was doing a really holy work. Now, on that last day, 10, 10, 20, I felt like the Lord was talking to me personally about Revelations 10 and how he was going to open that little book and reveal the mysteries of God to his remnant. And then in Revelation 11, it talks about three and a half years uh, for the law and the spirit, the two lamps to go forward. And in those that truth and by his spirit, God would start really forming and conjoining this Joseph company on to be ready for uh, what was up ahead. And then I kind of put that into uh, something that was I thought was significant with 2017 and the American eclipse, and then a second American eclipse coming in 2024 on the first day of the new Hebrew covenant calendar, April 8th, 2024, which is first roots. So those signs I've tucked in my heart. In between the, that is the uh, conjunction, a sign that happened in 2020 of Jupiter and Saturn coming together. And that was very significant as well. 
So we had a lot of signs that were transpiring to kind of speak of, well, what is God saying right now? Then on 11-1-2020, which was All Saints Day, Lance Walno, and, and you know, and he wasn't the only one, actually. There was a lot of people that had gone down to D.C. and gathered together for some rallies. This one was called As One Rally, and we were here in Sandpoint praying for that. Now, 111 actually is the number for Aleph. It's... Uh, it's uh, it's really symbolizes us coming together with his heart um, in the spirit, soul, and body. And that's what God's doing with his remnant. We're coming into that alignment, that plumb line, being one in his hand. And then on 11, 11, 20, well, that was Veterans Day, but it was also the 400th anniversary of the Mayflower Compact. Now that's significant as well. And there was a one hour prayer of unity across the nation. And we joined that as well here in Sandpoint in the, in the center of our city. There was nine girls uh, that were joined together that day. And we it was really the end of our DOZ or Daughters of Zion prayer campaign as well. And I just saw that it was a big deal. I And that night, actually, Michelle Bachman and Descendants of the Mayflower um, really got together and presented to the Lord a new Mayflower compact uh, contract to him to renew the heart and the purpose of why God established his nation, one nation under God. Now, there's so much that's transpired between 2020 and 2021. I had a hard time remembering, actually. So I went back through my notes, and then I remembered, oh, yeah, God told me on 11-11-221 to go back to his throne and petition before him all the the prayers that had gone forward the year before to remind him. And I sent out a text to many of my friends um, to do so as well. And so they all replied, I'm setting my alarm at 11-11. And so many of us were praying again in 11-11-2021 and reminding God what his covenant was for our nation, the prayers that had gone forward. We were repenting again and asking the Lord for his help. And afterwards, um, I saw this remnant, this Joseph company that I've been praying for all these years, birthing out of the, the, the womb. And I saw them arising in God's strength and his glory. And I got so excited. Now, there was nine girls that ended up joining me in the center of the city that day. And I thought, oh my gosh, how coincidental. Nine is the number of birthing. And a couple weeks later, the Lord gave me the third and final prayer campaign called the Glory Train Prayer Campaign. And the Daughters of Gold would come together and pray this thing in. And what I saw was amazing. I saw, I saw 12 gates and on each gate was the name of one of the tribes of Israel. And I saw us going um, to um, these different places that God would position us to pray and to um, pray in these gates, this gate for his glory um, to pour in for the increase for this remnant because we could not do what I was seeing um, up ahead with the measure of glory that we had. We had to have an increase, not only of um, natural resources, but spiritual resources as well. And so we are, we are called to go in and establish these gates, call in God's glory. But the template that the Lord gave me was 
really interesting. It was of the new Jerusalem that is found in Ezekiel 40 through 48. And in um, uh, uh, chapter 47 of Ezekiel, in verse 12, it says, Along the bank of the river and on this side and that will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. Thus says the Lord God, these are the borders by which you shall divide the land as an inheritance among the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph shall have two portions and you shall inherit it equally with one another. For I have raised my hand in an oath to give it to your fathers and this land shall shall fall fail or actually fall to you as your inheritance. Now, America has the Joseph anointing and prophetic, um, you know, uh, promises that are over her. And so I was pretty excited when I saw that and read that. And then when I started looking at the blueprint of uh, how God established these tribes around the tabernacle of the new Jerusalem, the Joseph was the first one out of the gate. And Judah was in the um, old uh, covenant pattern that, that was around the tabernacle of meeting. But Joseph was in that position in the new Jerusalem. So we went ahead and we went out and we started praying at the places that God established us to pray. Gate one, Joseph. Joseph meaning he will add. And Joseph had the double portion and the blessings to call in for God's remnant for the land to go and possess the land. This was so exciting for me. And so we did that. And then at the end of this, we saw that um, the that this uh, prayer campaign was going to release this healing waters and the necessary increase for the remnant to the Joseph companies all over this nation, all over the nations actually, um, because God was establishing a set time with which to outpour and to, for the floodgates to open for us to rise up in this increase. The Glory Train prayer campaign went from January 5th to March 30th is when it really ended. We actually went for 13 weeks, but on the 12th week, we were in Priest River, and the gate was called Levi, and we had taken all the prayers of all the gates and the decrees that we had established in all of these cities and places um, prior, and you know, one of the things that we were doing um, every single week was um, pouring water over uh, the the um, gates to cleanse the waters and salt for the covenant of salt and to restore and redeem what God had promised as well as uh, replying the Melchizedek oil to bring the fire. And so uh, water was really a theme in all of these gates. And here we are at Priest River and the place that we were residing at for this last gate was at the Albany Dam. And the dam had 10 gates gates and all the waters and where we had prayed all led to this dam. On the other side of that dam was Washington State. And so it was pretty much the border of Idaho and Washington State. And I saw the waters uh, going from here to Washington State to the the coast and down the coast to San Diego. And from there, everything would connect in the plumb line. And it was a glorious thing that I was seeing. And then we heard this uh, prophetic guy named Charlie Champ uh, prophesy the day before we went 
to the to the gate, Levi, that God was going to open the floodgates in the northwest. That was really encouraging. And then we heard after we prayed in this gate, Dutch Sheets gave a word that we, uh, really described every single thing that we did in the Priest River and walking into the river with the Ark of the Covenant, almost uh, replicating what jo- Joshua and the priests did when they crossed over into the Promised Land. On week 13, we went back to the center of Sandpoint and we just started celebrating for all that had been done. And believe me, it wasn't easy because the weather was really cold and we had to really work through some inclement weather. But God gave us so many signs uh, in the skies and the things that we did to really kind of confirm with our hearts that he was in what we were doing. And so in that 13th uh, week, we just raised our hands and we went from the outer court to the inner court to the Holy of Holies, asking the Lord to open up the portals of these gates and to release his gold. And, you know, California is the golden state. So there had to be something that God was going to do now to take this prayer and intercession and release it into that California state and down into San Diego. And what I saw was the plumb line from the north to the south to connect uh, the work that God had been doing through prayer and intercession. So this leads me to God speaking to me finally in March, and he said, it's time for you to go back to San Diego. I'm sending you with my fire, and I knew that I was going back to release all of the intercession here by faith down into that area so that the people that were there would take up that torch and go forward in the fire that God had for them to release this wonderful, amazing work for God's Joseph Company. So before the Glory Train prayer campaign actually finished, on March 8th, the Lord told me, Stacy, I'm sending you back to San Diego, and I'm sending you back with my fire. And I was pretty excited because I knew it had something to do with everything that I had gone forward and prayed and interceded with the girls up here in the Daughters of Zion and then the Daughters of Gold prayer campaigns, that I was going to take that and now bring it back down to San Diego and join the Daughters of Revolution intercession that had been prayed and all of the intercession that had gone back from 1998. And I was going to join it together, these two seeds together. And so I had already met someone that um, is really near and dear to my heart now. His name is Joseph, and he lives in actually San Diego, and him and a lot of the guys down there, they've just been on fire with God and praying and interceding for what God's doing in San Diego. And I felt like what the guys, the God was doing through the male counterpart down there was now going to receive what the women had been doing up here, and the two were going to be joined together to birth and conceive something amazing. And for the glory of the Lord to just cover the West Coast and to release um, that fire. You know, in Ezekiel 48, at the end, that's blueprint that we were using in the Glory Train prayer campaign, the last scripture says that all the way around this new Jerusalem, the name of the city from that day shall be called that the Lord is there. And isn't that um, true that, you know, his, his spirit is within us in our temples. And as we're joining together in unity of heart with a left and coming into that oneness, that plumb line with him, then the world can see the glory of the 
the Lord. And God is joining us together in such an amazing time right now. I'm excited to share what happened and transpired when I went back to San Diego. But not only that, now what God is showing us as a sign of how he's navigating and forming this Joseph company to get through some of the work of what the enemy is doing. And the sign that the enemy is also telegraphing so that we can take that and use that information to help us uh, to be wise. All right. God bless you. Thank you.